Ages is a game where you will learn as you play, and we strongly recommend experiencing your early runs on your own to enjoy everything without spoilers for the first time. This podcast will assume you have reached the final boss, unlocked all the weapons, and met all the characters. Any additional spoilers will be disclosed in the episode. Thanks for tuning in. Hello and welcome to Hidden Aspects, a podcast about Hades. I'm your host, Ridiculous Hats, and this week we are joined by the id DM, Dr. Michael Mallon, the Fraser Crane of gaming, a doctor of psychology, and a gamer of all genres. Mike, how you doing? I am doing wonderfully. Thanks for having me on the show. Of course. Thanks for coming on. Uh, definitely a different approach than what we've done so far, but I'm really excited to get into how this game makes us play it more, because it's definitely doing that. <laughs> Um, yes, it is. So listeners, we'll be getting to know Dr. Mike in a bit here, but, uh, you can also get to know everyone by following our social media accounts in addition to following us on whatever podcast platform you like, including iTunes, because we're on there. Check us out at Hidden Aspects on Twitter and join our Discord. Link is in the show notes and on the Twitter page. All right, Mike. Let's get to know you a little bit more. Tell us a bit about yourself. What's your background with gaming in general? Yeah. So again, thanks for having me on the show. Really excited to get into these topics. And I'm dating myself a little bit, but I grew up with an Atari in my household, so I'm I'm 44. And from there was Nintendo, Sega Genesis, and pretty much every console that followed in the different generations of gaming. Uh, I also grew up with computers, so I had a Commodore 64 and then an Apple IIc. Again, I'm old. <laughs> so I got into PC gaming a bit. Uh, I think part of the reason I gravitated towards gaming is I had an older brother who was very much the athlete of the family. And I was born with a heart condition, so I couldn't quite keep up with the organized sports. I mean, I did that with my friends and whatnot outside, but I couldn't really play in leagues or anything. So I sort of started to hang my hat, uh, no pun intended, on video games. And it kind of evolved into me playing a lot of games with friends. And then when I got older, going to malls, arcades, um, like up on the boardwalk in New Jersey where I grew up, it was like a big deal to go into an arcade and play games like Street Fighter 2, Mortal Kombat. And we, my friends, we'd have these shared stories of, yeah, I was on Street Fighter 2 for like an hour and a half. No one could beat me. And I just got to play for free. And um, so there was, we'll be speaking about rewards. <laughs> there was like reinforcement for that, like being able to play games and play them well. Uh, so it seems like simpler times now. And then about 10 years ago, I also... Got back into tabletop gaming, like Dungeons and Dragons, and felt like there was so much overlap between my professional work as a psychologist and then the games I was playing, whether it be console games, PC games, or certainly the tabletop role-playing games, because those are just a group of people talking to each other. And, you know, as a psychologist, you're always thinking about shaping behavior and uh, how to engage people. So I started a blog about, you know, my perspective, and then that turned into a podcast a few years ago. Wow! Yeah, did you uh, do you line up the quarters on the arcade machine to indicate <laughs> your place in line? Yes, that was absolutely a thing that happened. It was there's a lot of glory back in those days and a lot of heartache. Uh, I like the one story where the kid's brother that I beat he reached behind the game and turned it off, and then they ran out of the arcade because they were mad <laughs> after I won. But, uh, you know, I de definitely took my share of losses, too. 
it's good to know in a way that no matter how the games change, Tilt has been one and the same since the <laughs> yeah. very early days. Um, Indeed. Yeah. Yes. And it's, so it's interesting. I mean, gaming back then, um, I'm not like I'm I'm a few years younger, but not like enough uh, younger where this is all foreign to me. Gaming back then wasn't quite as cool. It wasn't the sort of thing where it was uh, such a part of culture. You know, you could talk to people about Mario, but it wasn't the sort of thing where if you were really into whatever the newest console was, um, you didn't bring it up at the office. You didn't bring it up uh, at parties or whatever if you were in college. It wasn't the same kind of cultural penetration that I remember. No, and I think there were genres that you could, like you talked about Mario or Zelda, those things crossed over. I think for, for me and my friends, a lot of it was, was sports games. So, Bo knows. Bo knows. Even before games like Madden, there was on Sega Genesis, there was PGA Tour Golf and NHL 95. And I mean, we, we beat those games into the ground. There were thrown controllers. <laughs> you know, we didn't have the greatest distress tolerance skills back then. So, um, you know, you would find groups of folks that were really into gaming. But you couldn't go online and find a bunch of other people on a Discord channel or, you know, a Twitter feed full of other people who like the same game. So you felt a little bit more isolated um, with like, oh, this is my stuff and I kind of like it and maybe a few other people do. But you really weren't aware that that was happening all over the place. It, you were a little bit on your own. Uh, so it's, it's certainly different now. It's very different when you have something like Critical Role, which is watching other people play D&D, and that's hugely popular. Um, it's pretty incredible to see how far gaming has advanced the cultural movement. And you mentioned so much overlap between your role as psychologist and your interest in games. Tell us a little bit more about that, why you chose that subject for content creation and, and what you see as the, uh, as the crossover there in a very large scale look at what is clearly a complex question. Yeah, so I think it was around 2010 or so where 4th edition Dungeons and Dragons came out and I was living in Texas at the time and I, I think just looking for another outlet for creativity and uh, maybe meeting some people because uh, we had just moved down to Texas in like late 2006. Um, so we were kind of getting established with the scene down there. Um, and one of the things was like, oh, I wanted to maybe get back into tabletop gaming. Uh, so one of the things that I listened to was this podcast uh, called the Acquisitions Incorporated podcast, where they were just playing D&D. And it was Will Wheaton and some other folks who were fairly famous in kind of nerd cultures. And it was just them playing the game. And it was just it was really funny. It was hilarious. Just the way they were. They, just, they basically just played the game and hit record. Uh, so it was pretty low tech and I found it entertaining. So I was like, well, I want to. I want to find a group of people to play with. Um, so I did and started playing fairly consistently, like three, four times a month. And then as I was playing, I started to consume content online of other people who were interested. It was right when Twitter was getting started and people seemed like everyone had a blog. So I thought, well, I could write a blog. And I started to bring my own unique perspective of Kind of talking about these psychology concepts in the framework of tabletop role-playing games. And, you know, I would post those on Twitter and they would get shared. And then I got more followers and people came by the blog and would make comments. And it was, I mean, we're going to talk about gameplay loops in a little bit, but it was like this interesting loop of behavior that 
as a hobby was writing, getting some feedback from people, getting new ideas, writing some more, playing a game, taking ideas from that writing. Um, and then over the years, that evolved into a, a podcast where I would interview one person, typically game designers, but I've been able to interview quite a variety of people on my podcast, Ego Check with the DM, which you can get on iTunes and Spotify and all those places. So that's been fun to do over the years. If nothing else, I feel like I can elicit good conversations from people. <laughs> so it's fun to do that in a non-clinical setting and just, you know, I like to learn. So learn about these things I'm interested about, which is really great. And speaking of things you're interested about, you talk about this game called Hades, which... Uh, yeah, I've heard about it. It's a fun game. And well, first of all, how did you find out about it? How did you get looped into this universe? So I know I've mentioned Twitter a few times, which... My wife says maybe I spend too much time on there. So uh, my Twitter feed is this combination of, like I've mentioned, tabletop role-playing games, other video games, a lot of sports stuff, uh, certainly in the last few years, political stuff. Um, and so my feed's this amalgam of different things that overlap because I don't break it into sub-channels or anything. Um, and what was interesting around August, September, like a bunch of people from different bubbles were talking about Hades. Um, like there's a bunch of Hearthstone uh, content creators. That's the other big thing in my Twitter feed, uh, yourself included. Um, and like you and some other folks from the Hearthstone world were talking about it. Even some of the people in like the political and sports spheres had mentioned it. I'm like, wow, I keep seeing this game pop up. I really don't know anything about it. So I decided, well, I'm just going to buy it. Like I didn't really look at any reviews or. Um, read anything about it. I just decided like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. People are gushing about it. Let me check it out. And I've done that in the past with other games and it's served me well. So I figured like, well, I'll get this. And I'm also really looking forward to Star Wars Squadron. So this will kind of tide me over. And like Squadrons has just been collecting dust for weeks <laughs> because Hades is so much more accessible and easy to jump in and out of. Um, so I still want to play Squadrons, but it's it's... It's been a Hades world, and I'm just living in it. Yeah, I uh, and so far that's been the common thread. All of our guests, I mean, you know, we've had Hades content creators, we've had uh, other Hearthstone personalities, we've had my wife, um, and so far the common link is that nobody can put this down, regardless of how they found it. So before we get into talking about the game, um, we should talk about just the structure of the gameplay loop. We're gonna go into this pretty deeply. But just on the on the surface, um, have you engaged with games with similar loops in the past? Like, is this something you're normally drawn to, or is this kind of the outlier? I mean, one of the games I'm going to compare it to, you, you may d disagree with, but one of the things that it's reminded me of, and I mentioned this in an article I wrote about the game uh, just that I posted today, well, Sunday, uh, is Diablo 2, like those games where... You kind of have this home base, you go out into the world, you fight a bunch of stuff, collect a bunch of stuff, come back, sort of rest up, heal up, get more powerful, and rinse and repeat. And it's sort of that type of gameplay that it reminds me of. The other game that I, I think I got into a few years ago, and I actually spoke to the creator on my podcast, was Darkest Dungeon, where, again, there's kind of a similar component where there's a village, you recruit heroes, then you go out into the world... You know, fight stuff, collect things, try to get more powerful in advance. So those are a few of the games that come to mind. I try, I know one of the other guests was talking about Dark Souls, and that I think I played one of those games, 
and just hit a wall with it. I think it was a combination of the certainly the difficulty, but also the story didn't really seem like I didn't I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> so That's kind of the vibe of that series. You're yeah. I think one of the things with Hades that I really enjoy is that not only is the combat really tight and and really enjoyable, but there's story elements that are, you know, compelling and funny and there's sorrow there and grief and it's really um at the same time kind of light it's just a a very good story to interact with yeah it's there have been other roguelikes darkest dungeon so i was thinking about this when you wrote it down in the show notes i was about to say darkest dungeon is way more punishing than hades but i'm not sure that's actually true just it feels more punishing but there's there's a lot to talk about the feel versus the reality and presentation matters a lot yeah, and that was another game that I really got into, and I, I wrote about it because I thought the whole like um, madness aspect of that, like the more you're sending your heroes out into battle, they suffer some mental health <laughs> detriments, and that affects their stats. And I, again, my line of work, I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting how they're playing around with that. And I think the game can feel punishing when you invest resources into those specific heroes that they they can die and when they die there there's a graveyard <laughs> almost like a D campaign it's like well i enjoyed playing this character for three and a half years but now they're dead so i guess i have to roll up a new character that doesn't feel great and i tend to be a deliberate player in games like this so i, I want to hang on to my stuff i want to hang on to the things i've built an attachment to so hades does away with that by you're you're just the same character over and over again and you can approach the game, it seems like, in countless different ways, but you're always the same person and sort of having the same story and experience, which is one of the reasons I think I really like it, because it's, it, you know, the combat can be punishing and you might not escape each time, but you, do, you, don't, you don't lose your stuff. You, you're kind of continuously collecting stuff that you get to use, which is cool. Yeah, I suppose there's maybe the the opportunity cost of if you have a really great build that's about to come together and then you die to, to you know, getting <laughs> gored by the bull, um, that maybe doesn't feel as great, but it's not like your setback, like your mirror doesn't clear when you lose your run. There's the difference between roguelike and roguelite, I suppose, is is pretty pronounced. Um, and we're going to talk a lot about, in, in the topic of the, the beauty of the Hades gameplay loop, we're going to dig into that. But first, let's talk about the fun stuff. Favorite aspect so far? Yeah, so as a disclaimer, I wanted to mention that I haven't unlocked a few of them. So I'm still kind of early. I haven't unlocked Arthur, Zeus, whatever the final shield and bow is, the uh, matter of the final fist or the final rail. So there's a, a lot of them I haven't tried yet. But of the ones I have, I think uh, probably uh, Chiron with the, the bow is just, again, it's, I think it feeds into my deliberate nature of attacking things from a distance. Um, but I've played only, I've, I unlocked the Haribo and played with that once. And it was interesting. It was around the time that uh, one of your former guests was talking about some great runs with the Haribo. I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. And then I unlocked it and played with it. I was like, oh yeah, it's really a lot of fun to load things into this and then destroy something from across the room. Like that feels awesome. Um, so I, I think so far I've really enjoyed playing with, with the bow, although all of them are and I'll get to this in the future, but all of them are so interesting and different. And that's, I think, one of the things I, I like the most is that the game encourages you to try different things. Yeah, gameplay variety, especially in a sealed environment 
where there's not going to be more content added to the game, at least not that we know of, um, and it's intended to be, this is the package of the game. Having this kind of depth and replayability with the aspects having such variety is really, really important. And uh, I agree, the bow really grew on me. As a base weapon, it was one of my least favorite, but the aspects have been so cool. Chiron just feels powerful, just being able to to shoot all the arrows into the one target. And then Hera, like you said, when you load that up with three things and you shoot some giant some giant baddie and they just evaporate. It's it's a really it's a really pleasant feeling. It's very rewarding. And Chiron with the relentless volley, which, you know, well foreshadowing a, a build brag that and again, visually, it just looks so cool. Like where all these arrows just zip across the screen around corners and into the person or the monster that you want to destroy. Uh, it's good times. Yes. And I see favorite favorite character under the gods, Dionysus. I'm guessing that is also foreshadowing with the Chiron bow. Um. <laughs> yeah, Dionysus, he's just so remarkably funny. The voice actor is incredible. It's just so enjoyable to interact with him. Like, even when the, the trial of the gods were, if I don't pick him, then he's like, oh, man, I don't even know what I was mad about you for like there's always it's always enjoyable there's always something funny that he has to offer um so he's sometimes i'll even if i'm going towards a specific build or something i was like ah, i just want to meet dionysus again so i'm going to i want to see what he has to say um in terms of fa- favorite characters in the house though it, it's meg it's absolutely meg just uh I, I on twitter as i was playing the game like a few of my early interactions with her, I compared her to Randall from Clerks. <laughs> like this job would be great if it wasn't for the customers. Uh, she's great. I love Meg. Yeah, and never have I wanted so badly for someone to be disappointed in me every time that I go through the house. There's just <laughs> there's just some excitement about seeking her disapproval. Um, what's your what's your go to comfort build? If you had to pick one that you're like, if you're about to go to bed but you see this weapon glowing, you you do one more. Well, I think my comfort build, because I'm still, I think the comfort now is changing things, like kind of going with something different each time. I think my comfort build is when I enter sticks and I'm worried about surviving, I'm going to activate the lucky tooth because I'm going to need that extra life. Um, But in terms of boons, I think in comfort build for a while, I was just gravitating toward crystal clarity because it feels so overpowered um, and was really helping me kind of get through the final push to actually beat Hades for the first time. And now that I've done that I mean, a bunch, I, um, I'm still like on heat three, two or four with most weapons. I'm just kind of doing one at a time per weapon. Um, I'm more kind of open to it. I, I think the, I think my next run, the the bow is glowing. So that's exciting. So I can do one of those runs again with either Chiron or Hera. So that should be, that should be fun. Yeah, those are enjoyable, and I'm curious to to hear what you have to say about the uh, the hidden bow when you get that going because it's that is a a high heat darling, and it's a little funky to use, but once you get it going, it's a lot of damage. Um, your most hated enemy, if you had to pick one. I was thinking about this today, looking at the show notes, and I wrote down pretty much anything in Elysium, which is not a fair answer. But it kind <laughs> of a, is. Kind for of. For a is. while, it was uh, Theseus, that guy. Uh, he's just so annoying, and I, for whatever reason, I just couldn't figure out the, the patterns. And again, playing repetition, I, I've helped with that, uh, where he's less of a problem now, but still really annoying. Um, but really, 
any of those guys that have shields, the longbow dude that can shoot you from 17 miles away. And if there's only one or two of them, it's not a problem. But when there's a lot of them and they have different things and they block everything and they can dart around and throw purple blades of death at you through the ground, it's just, it's not fun. So those shield bearer guys are... It's just a grind. I'm always paying a health tax. It's frustrating. <laughs> well, and if you like playing bow a lot, I, I enjoy Chiron, but it's such a pain in the butt against Shieldmen because to get behind them so all the arrows connect is such a pain. You have to usually get pretty close and dash through them. And mm-hmm. that just means if you're used to playing range and then you suddenly have to get in melee range and then you get hit by a shield, it's not it's not super pleasant. Yeah, and that's where like some of these builds where it's like, oh, this feels amazing. And then you run into a specific room or type of enemy that counters it. And it's like, okay, what's plan B? Um, so I try to build things where I have a, almost try to compensate for whatever the weapon does with cast or something else. So I have different options to get through things. Yeah, it's uh, being able to diversify with the cast, I think, is super important. And luckily on Haribo, you can just drop a nuke on them and they just disappear. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Now... Tell us about some of those builds that worked out for you. It's time for build bragging. So we want to hear about whatever this cool... Basically, tell me your victory screen on uh, on some some fun builds you've had lately. So I've been talking about the bow. So uh, a Chiron run that I mentioned, I was able to get Relentless Volley. So you're, you, know, you target the enemy with an attack, and then you fire a special off that's, I don't know, something like seven arrows that go zipping across the screen into somebody. Uh, so that was awesome. And on top of that, I had the Epic Zeus cast, which is electric shot. And that had the cold fusion duo and the Epic static discharge. So there are just so many options for clearing big threats and cloud uh, crowd control. Because the cast would hit like anything in the room and then they're getting electrocuted and jolted and <laughs> slowly dying. And then meanwhile, I could focus my attention on one target and clear that out pretty quickly. And it was just like, rinse, repeat, do that over and over again. It's just so nice to be able to to walk away and then the thing just explodes behind you like you're in a movie and you put your sunglasses on and it's like, ooh. It's sticking that jolted on something for the full 10 seconds. It's just, it's just pleasant to not have to worry about that last little bit of health. Another cool one, which uh, was probably about a week ago. I had the Hades spear and the spear I, I enjoy as a weapon overall because I think it's pretty versatile. It's you can get up close and smack things. You can throw it and, you know, you, you have some options. But real early on, I think I might have even been in Tartarus still. I got the sweet nectar boon. So from that there on in, I'm like, all right, I'm just selecting palms whenever I get the chance. If there's a palm room, I'm going that way. If I can buy a palm from Caron, uh, I'm going to do that. And I... And I still don't know if there's a level max for skills. Like I thought it'd be like, oh, maybe it's 10 or something. And I just kept, I think I, I did it on my attack and on my cast. And I was like, well, I'm just going to keep doing casts from now on. So it was like cast level five, level seven, level nine, level 11. And I got my floodshot all the way to level 19, Ooh. which was insane. It was 250 cast damage anytime you fired it. So by the time I got to Hades, it was like, all right, and you just cast at him a few times, get your stones back, cast at him again. Um, and on top of that, I just my attack was like a level six epic heartstring strike. So I was able to weaken foes nearby 
dash away, flood shot them, explode them, go get my cast stones back. And again, it was just <laughs> this nice system that, that really worked. Um, but if you can get that sweet nectar duo boon early like that, just, just sort of mainline palms. It's really fun. <laughs> Level 19. I have never gotten a level 19. That is, I don't believe there is an upper limit. I've seen screenshots. Uh, there was one guy that was pushing it, and he got it to th- one cast level 38, I think. Wow. I, I thought it was an exploit or some kind of cheat, but no, it's just you go out of your way for palms, and you get all the ones and sticks, and 250 cast damage is quite a bit there, especially with the Hades Spear. You can put the debuff on him and just rinse him off. Yeah, so that was that was, I thought like, well, maybe it'll max out at 10. No. All right, maybe it'll max out at 15. No. And so, yeah, if you can make that happen, that's that's pretty enjoyable. Um one of the and this actually helped me listening to one of your prior episodes um where you were talking about the uh, Hestia that uh rail that you get into this rhythm of shoot, reload, shoot and I think you were mentioning that it's hard to remember to reload. So that weapon really teaches you to do that well, because when you reload manually, you get bonus damage to your next shot. And then I got the Daedalus upgrade that turns the rail into a shotgun. It sort of shoots close by in a spread and does higher damage. So my pattern that I got into was load, dash right up to something, shoot them in the face. They usually exploded, or if they were still alive, I dashed back out, reload, and just repeated that. So I got into this really nifty, like, three, four button sequence of, you know, dash in, fire, dash out, reload, go back in, fire. And then for a special, I got the rocket bomb, which is a nice combination. So I could shoot things real up close and personal, or I could fire a rocket from across the screen and clear threats out that way. Uh, So that was an interesting combination. Yeah, it's when you have Hestia and Rocket Bomb, it feels like you kind of just have two rockets that you switch back and forth between. Um, And really building that reload rhythm, it takes a lot of practice considering it's only for the one weapon. And I've been working on it with just rebinding that. If you're you're on Switch or really on any platform, rebind the default reload is not in a good place. And then just you you can dash and special while you are reloading. Just make sure that all three of those things are kind of reflexive actions that you want to dash, special, and reload or while you're waiting for your clip to refill. Um, but yeah, those sound like some pretty fun builds. I had a few this week that I was happy with, but there was one that I w- I've been pushing tight deadline three and trying to clear my runs in under 20 minutes, and I managed Ooh. to get there with Arthur on a five sack, and I felt pretty proud of that one, that it took all five hallways and sticks, finished with 30 seconds left in the clock. But we got there. I think that time limit is going to be like the most difficult thing for me. Like you guys were talking about the uh, heightened security, like taking the extra damage from traps and lava and stuff. Like I've, I've had that on almost as a default because that doesn't scare me yet, but having to do things quickly, I think that's going to be a big leap because I'm just deliberate. (laughs) Well, and that's, there's two different play styles that I found because there are a bunch of other people in the, in the discord that agree with you. Um, I know Icicles is actually is a big fan of turning on heightened security and turning down te- tight deadline, and he just cleared a 32 relatively recently. Um, it's all about how defensively do you play, uh, and do you prioritize the DPS and moving fast, or you prioritize not getting hit? Now, you're going to need both skills eventually if you're pushing really high heats, but for most people, you can kind of choose whichever one you prefer. You don't have to play fast if you don't want to play fast. 
unless you turn the timer on. Now, I typically play pretty quick, but I also typically dash into lava and get hit by things more often. So <laughs> it's all about managing that. But I was able to to clear in part because Deadly Reversal, the duo with Athena and Artemis, the, the requirements are strict because of how powerful it is. And I find myself just, I want that on almost every run because uh, you have to take Athena on attack or special and y- Artemis can be on whatever. But that bonus to the 20% chance to crit for two seconds after you proc it, really, really nice on Arthur when the damage is so huge. So I was able to get out of there and, and clear tight deadline three um, despite being on Arthur and getting five sacked. So very happy about that. And what does the uh, Deadly Reversal do? I don't know if I've had that one yet. Oh, Deadly Reversal. So after you deflect, after you bounce things um, with Athena's abilities, you have two, for the next two seconds, you get this little green spark in your head and you have a 20% chance to crit with any with anything. Oh, nice. So um, Arthur is large, does big numbers. And uh, and being able to crit with that is things things go away, <laughs> things vanish. So uh, it's, it was it's effective, is what I'm hearing. Yes, and I was able to get deadly strike to level seven, which is not level nineteen, but you know, still an extra forty five percent to base attack damage, and then a fifteen percent chance to crit, and then on top of that, the twenty percent chance to crit from deadly reversal. Um, it's it it was good. It was a good run. Sweet. That's awesome. Yeah. But now it's time for our topic of the week, because this is something that I think we could both talk about for, for a minute. Um, we're going to try and restrain ourselves to half an hour. We'll see how it goes. Uh, let's talk about the joy of live, die, and repeat. The joy of the loop. You've been pretty vocal about your praise for the gameplay loop of Hades and the reward pathways. Uh, give us a little bit of an intro on your perspective on this before we get into like the nitty gritty specifics that you wrote about in your blog today. Yeah, no, thanks. I, I appreciate your willingness and interest to, to talk about this topic because um, I had bounced some ideas off you about this and you're like, yeah, that sounds great. Um, so again, I mentioned I've trained as a psychologist. I've, I've been licensed as a psychologist since 2006. Um, it's weird to think of myself as sort of mid-career now, but I guess that's where I'm at. <laughs> um, and so just through training and doing a lot of clinical work and doing some research work in the past, I'm just aware of behavioral techniques and strategies to shape behavior uh, through, you know, that's what I do as a counselor. I you know, help people kind of modify behaviors. So there's a lot of behavioral techniques that I use when, when working with clients. So I'm always kind of thinking about, you know, what's rewarding for people? Why is it rewarding? Um, you know, a question I sometimes ask clients is, you know, what, what's important to you? You know, why, why are you doing the things you do? What are the benefits? What are the potential consequences? So that perspective is in my head kind of all the time, which, you know, probably creates a certain level of anxiety for me <laughs> in general, but it also makes me sort of evaluate or appreciate kind of my own behavior. Like, why am I doing the things that I'm doing? And certainly since one of the things I like to do is spend time with games, I kind of Think about, well, what is it about this particular game that's really engaging and making me enjoy my time? And what is it about some other games that are frustrating or making me feel like I'm wasting my time? And as I get older and I now have a son who's about to turn four, time is much more valuable. It's not like in high school and college when I could, you know, get a game and say, okay, I'm just going to play this over the weekend. I'm just going to mindlessly play SSX Tricky for six hours a night and do that for a month and a half, or I'm going to play Mass Effect 2 and, you know, 
not do anything else until I finish that. So time has become much more valuable. So I think I'm just a little bit more in tune to things that feel rewarding and then other things in games that just feel like they're clunky or not designed very well. And I realize some of that's personal preference, but um, Hades has been so appealing because it's, it feels like someone's aware of all these types of behavioral strategies to encourage behavior and they're really capitalized on it, capitalizing on it. Yeah. And this has been, my wife is a huge fan of Dark Souls and I am not. Um, And part of the reason of that is I didn't feel like that game series respected my time or rather it reveled in making me run (laughs) back to prove that I needed to get better. Um, Whereas Hades has the closed loop and yeah, if you get all the way to Elysium or Styx and then you die, it, it, it can feel bad but not quite the same level of no do it again but better it's Mm -hmm. sometimes it's exciting to die and get back to the house and see what's going on and then figure out what's going next and then how much more darkness do i have can i unlock something in the mirror um so there's definitely a different vibe to death does not feel like failure whereas in other games when when failing to meet a specific challenge feels like failure and then the the player is directly punished for it it's got a different it, it it doesn't hit quite the same so Hades as well has so much variety you've talked about playing with heightened security on which I think is crazy um but also <laughs> uh you're you know really big in the bow and really big at distance uh but also not just builds and strategies and heat preferences people can choose to focus on the story they can choose to focus on building relationships they can choose to focus on fishing of all things yes um I got that legendary once from Poseidon it's like huge here's catch. all the fish yes so how does this game manage to, uh, rather, where do some games get this wrong, whereas Hades seems to get it really right? I think the thing that's really impressed me about Hades, one of the things I wrote about, is that there's, I was trying to think of like, where where could you trim the fat on this game? Like, where is there wasted time? And I don't really think there's much. I mean, you start in the house, you know, you talk to people, interact with folks, um, you know, select a weapon, think about, okay, this is the build I'm going after. Or if you're like me, sometimes you're just like, eh, whatever happens in the rooms, we'll see what happens. So again, it kind of, you, you can tailor your approach that way. Um, but then you do combat and each room is very discreet. So each room I think of, it presents a problem and you have to figure out how do I solve this problem without taking damage or taking as little damage as I can. And you talked about the different techniques of being deliberate or just bashing things as quickly as possible and and ending the threats. And when you do that, you get a reward and then you go to the next room, you get a reward next room. It's, it kind of plays out that way. And I think it's smart where I think if the entire game looked like Tartarus, it would get boring. Like you would just, you get a little fatigued from that, but right when about the time you're getting fatigued with Tartarus, if you clear Tartarus, you get to a new area and it's a completely different color palette, completely different type of threats. And then sort of repeats for two more sections. And then eventually you meet up with Hades and likely die to him a bunch of times until you figure out how to clear. And then you get into like the next element of the game and then you're back at the house and it's like, okay, here's all the stuff I collected. What can I do with it? Oh, Hey, there's new people I can talk to, or it advances their story somehow. Um, Okay. I did that for a few minutes and now, you know, check the mirror, check the faded list. Uh, hey, there's Skelly. Let me pick a weapon and you start up all over again. So it really has this enjoyable gameplay loop where none of the 
specific elements of the loop overstay their welcome. Like, I think if the fighting through Hades took like three hours instead of, like you said, like 20 or 30 minutes, then that would maybe get old. Or if the house forced you to stay there for, you know, a half hour to get everything done, then that might get a little long in the tooth. But uh, everything is just kind of zipping along, which I think is a key component to why the game's so enjoyable. Yeah, it's, you know, I've talked about this uh, a couple times, but the first, especially the first week I was playing it, okay, let me just see what item is glowing. Okay, mm-hmm. let me just see what's in the first room. Okay, I like that boon. Let me just see what's in the next one. Okay, let me see what, what boon again next. Okay, I died. Let's see who has dialogue options back at the house. Okay, I should really check and see what weapon is glowing. And it just, it, it, and, then it's, and then the sun come up. And there's, and there's some kind of problem. Um, they, there's something to be said about the nature of early access and the nature of a game studio with 21 employees that is so connected to the community through their Discord and coming from Hearthstone where Twitter is the community and developers are on there and people talk, but, you know, it's, it's Twitter. It's everything is one thought at a time chunks and people share their pithiest thoughts at any given time. Um, but it's not an ongoing conversation. AD seems to be a game based around Discord because the every single person in the company is in the same Discord and there's a bunch of Hades channels and then the the designers of the game will talk to you and have a conversation when you have a thought. I was watching the Hermes Cup the other day, which is the Hades speedrunning competition. And one of their guests was Amir Rao, who is the studio head for Supergiant Games. So nice. they're, they're, it's a amateur weekend run fan competition to speedrun Hades and the developer of the game is like, oh yeah, I'll come talk to you guys about it. And that's kind of crazy, but also speaks to the nimble and connected approach of the studio with their audience of how do we make this a little bit better every time we update? How do we iterate? How do we polish? How do we dial it in? And you look at how precise the controls are. You look at how dialed in the combat is. It doesn't happen by accident, and this gameplay loop doesn't happen by accident either. They figured out where people had problems, and they changed it until the people stopped having problems. And that's where you get a game that's this level of refined. Yeah, and I think about some of the other games I've played recently where, you know, I've enjoyed them, but they were, again, I felt like this just isn't respecting my time. So, like, God of War, which I've talked about previously. Like, I've liked God of War games, and I kind of anticipate, like, oh, well, this is this will be a pretty linear game with a lot of action combat. And again, I didn't read reviews, so I just bought it. And it's a very different experience where there's a lot of wasted time where you have to backtrack to places you've been. They present puzzles that purposely, like, you can't solve until you get other items, so you have to come back later. But it's not always obvious that you can't solve them the first time you see them. And there's none of that in Hazy. It's just like, hey, here you go. You, you go out, go into the rooms. If you live, great. You get more rewards. If you die, you have some rewards. You can get stronger. It just, it, it really values your time. Even in games like Breath of the Wild or Skyrim, like early on, you have to walk around to unlock fast travel, which it's just a lot of downtime. And if you're someone who likes exploring and taking in the scenery, then that's cool. But if you're like me and just like, hey, I want to get to the next thing, it's a bit frustrating. <laughs> yeah. And both those games, like both God of War and Breath of the Wild are, are incredible games. Um, but things take a minute. And one of the more recent games that I've enjoyed in the open world genre, Ghost of Tsushima, um, is it's gorgeous. 
But also, the second that anything is revealed on your map, you can fast travel to it from the very beginning of the game. Uh, along with really fast load times and uh, it, a medium speed travel option of your horse. You can just call your horse wherever you want. There's just a button that says whistle, and then your horse is always within your shot somehow, magically. And nice. it's just, it's nice that the game says, we know that this is going to require a little bit of suspension of disbelief, but you'll be able to travel faster. Just just go along with us. And sure. it makes the game more enjoyable. Um, and one feature I want to focus on in Hades that even though neither of us, I think, have a lot of experience with it, I love that God Mode is in the game. And God mm-hmm. Mode, for those, for those unaware, it's a checkbox in the settings menu that allows you to, you get a, a toggle on or toggle offable uh, damage reduction buff, where at first I think it starts at 20% less damage. If you die, the number goes up, and when you clear, the number goes down. And it's just this constantly scaling option for difficulty. But it doesn't change the in-game dialogue doesn't change the rewards. There are a lot of games where if you play on easier modes or whatever, it locks certain uh, paths through the game from you, or you, you know, the characters comment on it, or you get less rewards or whatever. This is just, you get to opt in if you want to make the game a little easier so you can experience it and enjoy it. And I love that that's there because it's just about how do we make this game more accessible to everybody. Yeah, and, and you hit the key word there, that accessibility. So... I mean, this has been a conversation, even in tabletop games of like, you know, is your D&D game meant to be really punishing or, you know, you're as a dungeon master, you're going to kill all the player characters. And, you know, what does that mean? And what kind of game atmosphere are you trying to create? So there's all this discourse about this in, in tabletop games, too. And with, with video games, I, I know this is also a discussion where, um, you know, finding a difficulty balance um, in either single player games or multiplayer campaigns uh, is an issue. You know, I mean, thinking about games like, like squadrons, which I mentioned earlier, or a few years ago when I tried to get into overwatch where it doesn't feel like matchmaking makes sense all that much. Like there's clearly people in the game who know what they're doing. They're just preying on inexperienced players and that's not fun. And that just drives people away from those types of games. and then these games where kind of difficulty is part of the experience. I know that's been a conversation over the years of, you know, shouldn't these games have an easier mode so if people want to experience them, they can, if they don't have these, you know, amazing Twitch reflexes or uh, want to invest the time to figure out all these complicated patterns of combat that they really need to see a boss 30 times before they realize like, oh, okay, that's how, that's what I have to do. And not only do I have to know that, but I have to, <laughs> match my fingers and button presses to, to be able to clear this to get onto the rest of the game. So having some type of quote-unquote easy mode or some type of mode that's accessible, I, I mean, I've seen people get heated about it, have really strong opinions. I think how Hades does and is, is quite elegant, as you described, where it's, it just goes on in the background and it really doesn't change anything else about the experience, uh, probably to the point where you just forget it's on. Um, and you know, you still experience some of the highs and lows in the game of, you know, defeating that boss for the first time, getting to the the next level, um, getting able to upgrade stuff in the house, collecting resources like that gameplay loop stays the same, but it tones down how challenging it might be, like how uh, unforgiving the game can feel at times. Um, 
especially when you get to a new area and you don't have many resources and when things are new, <laughs> it's like, what does this enemy do? It's like, oh, well, I'm dead and I got to start over. <laughs> so having yep. a little bit of a buffer against that um, is, is a good thing. And I, I think it's great that it's there. And the in the game also, beyond just the accessibility of having something like God Mode, the game also has this motivating factor of, well, I just want to do this one more thing. I want to collect this one additional resource. The game feels like a loot box game, but it's you just make the one initial investment. Uh, yeah, think about all the times of, oh, I just need a little bit more darkness. Oh, I just need one more key. Oh, I just need one more nectar. Uh, oh, I got to make all these gods like me. I got to do favors for them. This is where, if this were Genshin Impact or whatever, we'd, you know, we'd buy stuff to make that happen. But in Hades, you just have to do more runs. So yes. tell us a little bit about the, the in-game econo- economics and how they correlate to our behavior. Yeah, and just so listeners at home know, I, I wrote back to this question with a yes exclamation point. <laughs> it's like, yes, this is such a good topic. So no, I, I've, I thought about this while playing because I've spent time over the years playing games that are designed to really harvest your time and ideally some money from you. Uh, even going back to like early Facebook games like Mafia Wars, which I'm embarrassed how- Farmville. Farmville, which like how much time I invested in clicking on things and raising status bars and all this stuff. Um, so usually a game like Hades would offer an option to skip ahead. Uh, you can avoid some of the grind and purchase resources for some of the in-game currencies. So like theoretically, there's a version of this game that's like, for just $9.99, you can get 2,000 gemstones and 5,000 darkness and spend them how you like. And, you know, would I enjoy that game the same way? Probably not, but that, that would be an option for some people and the developer might get you know, more, more money. Um, but the really cool thing about Hades is it kind of uses those motivations that players might have, and it really gives you a consistent dose of rewards each time you play the game. So you get keys, you get darkness, you get gems. Uh, you get nectars, and I mean, what you get is randomized, but you get a little bit of that each time you make a run through the game. So it doesn't feel manipulative. It's not like they're trying to exploit the player by making the game difficult. So you're like, ah, oh, well, I just got to buy this darkness so I can upgrade my mirror ability so I can get through. Um, like I think of games like Candy Crush, where it's pretty much impossible unless you pay to beat it. And then of course, once you pay money, I think they make the game even harder to encourage you to to pay more to beat it. So just I was thinking about that playing the game. I was like, man, this this could have really gone wrong if they decided to, you know, kind of wrench more money out of players, but it's it's all built in. It's all you you know, you pay for the game and it's all there. And this enjoyable loop of getting rewards, getting the in-game currencies, which are explained very well too. They're all distinct. Um, with the the visuals they've used for them, it's just it's really well done. Um, I, I'm just glad that some of the more troublesome loot box mechanics they kind of use those, but it's it they're free. It's just part of the game. Like you know, talk about playing games and loot boxes. Like each room, there's going to maybe be a different god, or when you t- interact with the god, you're going to get different boons offered. And there's some ways in the game to manipulate that. You've at some you know segments about run shaping and how you can you know line up here's what I want in my run, 
but they don't do anything to make the player feel bad or feel like ah, I just have to spend more money or spend certainly more time, but the time's enjoyable. And there's, you know, the reason that a lot of games don't feel like this. Well, to be honest, it's hard to make a game this good. Like it's, you don't get to make a, a genre defining or console defining game. Just you don't choose to do that or not do that. It comes with a lot of really hard work from very talented people. Um, and they got all of the behaviors dialed in and then removed all the predatory stuff and instead right. made it a $25 console game. Uh, and so it's pretty incredible to see how they learned all of the right lessons and then got rid of all of the evil stuff. Because that <laughs> also doesn't happen too much in the modern world of being less evil on purpose. But in terms of just dollars per minute of high level enjoyment, you're not really going to get a val better value proposition than this game to the point where I've bought it on two different systems, despite <laughs> not playing one of them yet. It really, it seems like the nefarious plan is make something so compelling that people buy it multiple times and review it highly. And that's, I can get behind that. That's fine. Well, and I, th I think in the article that I wrote, I, I talked, I kind of made this offhand comparison to like every time you make a run in Hades, it's like this very enjoyable uh, slot machine. Like you're pulling the crank on and seeing what, what comes back, but there's like clear reinforcement schedules um, of behavior that they capitalize on. So like a reinforcement schedule is, you know, how often you're rewarded for doing a specific behavior. So if you think about these old experiments where you can teach a pigeon to press a bar a hundred times and then they get a pellet of food, well, they'll kind of figure that out and they'll keep doing it because they want to eat and they're, they're hungry. So in Hades, there's anytime you clear a room, you get a reward. It's pretty straightforward. You know, you clear two rooms, you get two rewards. You clear three rooms, you get three, um, sometime more than that. And then they have more of a like partial reinforcement schedule where you get these bigger rewards if you clear a boss. So you get these special, more rare rewards whenever you clear a boss, and that, that feels good. But it's also predictable. You kind of know, well, if I play the game, here are the rewards I'm, I'm likely to get. And because of that, it, it does have that vibe of like, well, let me do one more room, or let me do one more run if you have the time. Um, and again, it's not predatory. I, is a good word to use. Um, it's it's really a lot of fun because along the way you're you're meeting these really interesting, hilarious, or you know I've seen people post videos of how thirst trappy all the gods are. So there's been some funny reactions to that. So th there's a lot of like rewards you get from the game, not just the currency stuff, but also the, the story, like feeling accomplished in combat, clearing something, um, and then before that gets boring. One way or the other, you end up back in the House of Hades and you sort of start all over again. And part of the reason why Build Bragging is a vital part of the show is that the communal experience of this game, it reminds me a lot of when you're at Friday Night Sleepovers, when you're the best Mario Kart player or best <laughs> Smash Brothers player in your group of friends. And then you go back to school on Monday and like people are talking about this sick play that you made with the with Cervantes or whatever. Uh, Soul Calibur or something. Um, Soul Calibur. Wow. Yeah. Right. That's nice. a bit of a throwback. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was there. I am, I am referencing my own sleepovers because I really like playing Cervantes. And then you know, we rolled into school on Monday, and and you know, we were you know, we we're just a bunch of boys that were that were talking crap to each other, and having that kind of street cred of like, 
walking into the classroom and people are like, oh, don't mess with this guy. That was that was a great feeling to pursue. And Hades gets the the victory screen. It's such a beautiful and inspired piece of game design. It gives you one screen that you share with your friends to show how good you were in that run. Show how crazy this one and you can't believe it. And I got Merciful End in Tartarus. Oh my goodness. And everyone's like, in Tartarus? And they're like, they stop what they're doing and they're like, oh man, that sounds crazy. This kind of organic variability and the storytelling associated with it is really magical. It's a really special thing. But in addition to that, what I really love is when people take objectively worse options because the game tells them to. Mm -hmm. Because there was one run early on where I was trying to get every duo and every legendary, and I got greater recall from Hermes, which makes all of my bloodstones come right back to me. And then in sticks, I got lightning rod, which I hadn't collected yet, which makes all of my uncollected cast stone shoot lightning. And these things objectively do not work together. (laughs) They shoot one bolt of lightning on the way back, but I needed both of them. And so I said, you know what? Screw it. Let's go. And just the list and the little scroll, they kind of artificially increase variability, but in a way the player wants to engage. Yeah, no, the, and that's for me early on, that's how a lot of you know, the things that shaped my runs were, oh, this thing has that little lightning bolt or the faded choice icon on there. So uh, that means I'll cross off more on the list. And that really made it um, enjoyable because again, uh, as a counselor, I'll often encourage people, make a list for yourself. Write down what's important. What What are your goals? What What do you want to accomplish this day or this week or this month? And simplify that as much as possible. So if one of your goals is to clean your house, separate that into clean each room and then separate that into or simplify that into, I want to clean this corner of the room, then that corner, then that corner. And as much as you can kind of write things down, externalize and simplify that, sort of makes those behaviors easier to accomplish. So the the faded list, which you can buy early on, and it's right there in your room. It's a visual thing. Like, you know, you can't miss it on each run where, you know, it's just part of that loop where you enter your room. If there's an exclamation point on the list, it's like, oh, something new's there. Let me check it out. Um, and then you go in, see what options need to be cleared. And maybe that gives you ideas on here's, well, this is what something I'm going to look for, which is a lot of how I played early runs in the game of, okay, I need these two boons from Poseidon and then I can get some gemstones for it. Okay, well, let me let me try to call up Poseidon and see if I can get them. And just the fact that the list exists and they have clear visual cues for how to accomplish it while you're in the game that don't require you to go back to some kind of menu or go back to the codex to see, oh, which ones do I need? I forget. It just has a little icon right there. You can't miss it. It's It, it tells you. Um, it's just interesting how that shapes the player's behavior. It certainly shaped mine. Well, they're kind of, the the one that I, I think I like the most um, is the the amount of, they give you 10 bloods for, no, 20 bloods, I think, for doing a clear with each pact of punishment trait active. Mm-hmm. Um, that when you do, you don't have to clear with all of them on, but you have to clear right. with, it's, you know, some combination of them. It's teaching you how to experiment with the heat system and giving you an idea of what all the things feel like but you don't have to do all of them at once. And if one's really punishing, you can do it all on your own. I did that with Titan security. Um, and you learn how to play differently to meet this specific condition. And the reward is a whole bunch of more toys to play with. Mm-hmm. But really the reward is understanding of the heat system. The reward is learning how much more depth the game has. And in order for them 
to get you to experiment with that idea instead of just doing farm runs and then getting to, ten to however many clears it takes for the true ending to roll and then stopping. They show you, okay, you can do more, and if you do, we'll give you stuff. And then you realize, oh, wait, it's so cool to play more of this game and set new challenges for myself. Even though it's opt-in, I'm going to keep doing this. Brilliantly designed. Brilliant. Yeah, there's just, there's so many carrots to chase. So you can, if you're into the, just the cosmetic pieces, you, know, you can put up posters on your wall and decorate the house in different ways. Uh, if you're into re relationships, there's, you know, mechanisms to increase the bond with each character. And that takes these currencies that you can collect while you're out and about attacking things and clearing rooms. You know, there's certainly the combat piece. So, and I, I like how it, it shows you everything. It teaches you how to play the game. So, you know, when you unlock your first keepsake, it's like, oh, that's cool. And you have this keepsake cabinet and you see, it's like, oh, I unlock one of them. There's like 20 other ones in here. I wonder how I get those. So, And the big locked hearts at the bottom. Huge locked hearts. Which I've only opened two of those, but those are companions. And like they do interesting things. So I'm excited to keep playing and, and unlock those. But so not only does it, not only do these things exist in a menu somewhere or like you hit pause and pull up your inventory. It's like they're built into the experience. They're, they're decorations in the game. They're things you can interact with. Um, you know, your keepsakes are in this cabinet that, that's in, right by your weapons. The list is on a desk in your room. Uh, the, the, you know, the renovation guy is someone you actually have to talk to and interact with. And this list unscrolls and it's like, oh, here's a menu of options I can build. And the other cool thing it does is it, it keeps the list of all the things you've already activated. So it always has this sense of progression of like, oh yeah, I did all that stuff. What's next? And that is just a, it's, it feels good to cross things off a list. Same thing with the faded list. Like when you complete them, they don't disappear. They just graze out and you can review them all. Um, so again, I feel like it's just very rewarding for the player to, to go through this, unlock new things and experience all the game has to offer. Cause for a while, I thought my main goal, well, it was, it was escaping Hades. It was, hey, getting out. And then you get out and then it throws you a major curveball. It's like, oh, well, I have to keep doing this. And then I sort of ran into the credits. I, it sort of surprised me how abruptly it came. But what also surprised me is, like, I have no interest in not playing this game anymore. <laughs> I want to keep playing because there's still, there's still story to unlock. There's still stuff weapons companions all this other stuff to unlock like i imagine there's quite a bit of content that i haven't even accessed yet and i think i'm on escape attempt 62 or so 61 somewhere there uh so i'm still probably early compared to some other folks yeah um i've got about three times as many runs as you there's still stuff to do um you know it's there there's a point where a sealed environment like it runs out of prepared story content for progression but I love how those first story runs, when you're really getting something after each clear, yeah, those are, I have to do more, I have to see what happens. But after the credits roll, you change from, I have to do this more, to, I get to keep playing this game. And it's a huge shift from, I really want to know what's going on, to, no, they've given me plausible deniability to keep doing runs, <laughs> I'm going to keep doing runs. And the game is it tries really, really hard to give you that 
plausible reason that you're still doing what you're doing and more stuff to try. Just constantly more stuff to try. So I, I think there's quite a bit of depth there. Uh, we're going to wind down this part, uh, the show here, but Mike, I really appreciate you coming on. And uh, I'd like to know where we can find you if we'd like to uh, connect with you on social media or read your blog or listen to your podcast and any shout outs that you have that you want to share here. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. Um, so you can find me. I'm, I'm pretty active on Twitter um, at the id DM. That's T-H-E-I-D-E-M. Um, so you can find me on there. Uh, love to chat about Hades, D&D, sports, <laughs> politics recently, I guess. Uh, although I try not to get too much into that. Um, so I have a blog as well, which is uh, the idm.wordpress.com. I've been writing articles on there since 2011. Uh, so you can kind of search the archives. I just posted this article on Hades uh, about a lot of the topics we're talking about, how kind of Hades is just relentless and how it teaches you and rewards your behavior in the game. Uh, I have a couple of podcasts. The one is the one we mentioned earlier, Ego Check with the idm. You can find that on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, all your um, podcast services. There's another pod I do called Childhood Ruined, which is a bit of a sarcastic look at um, things with a buddy of mine, Geek Zynga. He's also on on Twitter. And we've lately been having a, a series of podcasts called Radio Free Coronavirus because we're talking about coping with just sort of being socially isolated and how we're keeping each other keeping ourselves occupied. So uh, that's been a fun podcast, which is available on iTunes, Spotify, and, and all the rest. So yeah, if people want to contact me, I'd be happy to chat. Wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on. And uh, for everyone else listening, well, we'll be back next week as usual. Follow the show at Hidden Aspects on Twitter. Subscribe in your podcast client. Join our Discord. And until next week, see you in hell.